Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the fifth episode of So You Have IBD. We are back for another episode with gastroenterologist Dr. Lai Carlson to discuss treatment options when it comes to inflammatory bowel disease, or IBD. Once again, I would like to reiterate that every patient has a different path to remission. No IBD experience is the same, and it is important to be conscious of this when listening to the podcast. Now, let's get into the questions. Do you mind reintroducing yourself and repeating any interests that you have? Hi, this is Manule Carlson, one of the pediatric gastroenterologists over at Kaiser, and I love eating, sleeping, traveling, and swimming. Awesome. Okay, <laughs> going right into the questions. What okay. are the most common treatment options for someone with IBD? Uh, well, so so when someone has first comes in with IBD, usually they have a lot of active symptoms that are making them feel uncomfortable, like abdominal pain or diarrhea. And so one of our uh, you know groups of medication that we use is to get those symptoms under control really quickly so someone can feel better quickly. And usually that to do that, we use a class of medications called steroids. So steroids are a class of medication that help uh, calm down the immune system very quickly. And they work really well. We kind of think of it almost as if when someone comes in, they have active symptoms, kind of like a, like a fire that's you know very active. The steroid is the fire extinguisher that turns off the fire or, or stops the fire very quickly. And so they work well. Um, and those uh, medications are like prednisone or solumedrol. The issue with steroids is that even though they work really well, they can have a lot of side effects. And so um, steroids are used in inflammatory bowel disease, obviously. You may also know that or have heard that steroids are also used in a lot of different conditions like asthma, um, like rheumatoid arthritis. If you had um, poison ivy, you know, your doctor might give you a course of prednisone as well. And what that means is um, even though it works well, it's not very targeted. These drugs aren't very targeted, so they work on your gut, but they also work on your skin or, you know, your joints, so other parts of your body. And that often means that uh, if a drug is not as targeted, it has more side effects with it. And that's the case with prednisone. You can get a lot of different side effects with those medications, uh, like weight gain and mood changes and, um, you know, uh, 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 infections. And so we use them for a short course to get someone feeling better quickly. Uh, but we often have to move very quickly out of uh, uh, treatment and go to something called um, a maintenance medication. And that's what we look for for um, someone who has IBD, a good maintenance medication that can that keeps their IBD in remission. Uh, remission means that there's no inflammation, they don't have any active symptoms, um, everything is in a good, healthy state. And so there's many different classes of maintenance medications for IBD. Um, one big class is called amino salicylates. Um, and that class of medication, a couple of types are called mesalamine or sulfazalazine. And these medications work on inflammation locally. So they go straight to the intestines and they work on inflammation just on the mucosal layer there. Uh, they don't affect the immune system, so they don't increase your risk of infection. 
and they tend to work better for ulcer colitis over Crohn's disease. Um, and they're quite mild. We're really lucky if they work for someone, but a lot of people find that because they're so mild, they don't work well enough to get their IBD under control. Um, but that is one class of medication for maintenance medications. Um, another class that we have are called immune modulators, and they work on the immune system. So IBD is an autoimmune condition where the immune system gets confused and attacks the colon causes, or in the intestines, causes inflammation in the intestines. And so logically, one way to treat IBD is to modulate the immune system so that it doesn't cause so much inflammation. And the class of immune modulators sort of work on the cells that are involved in the immune system. And those medications are like uh, azathioprine. So it's a common one um, that is in that class. Um, they can have a fair amount of side effects. Sometimes they don't work well enough for people. Um, so there are other classes, uh, classes or class of uh, maintenance medication that we often use, and they're called biologics. So biologics are a little bit newer. Um, in the last several decades, we've been able to access biologics. Um, these are like uh, adalimumab or infliximab, ustekinumab. Um, the brand names for some of these uh, medications you may have heard are like Remicade or Humira or Stellara. Um, and these medications are different in that they're proteins. They're actually antibodies. And what these medications do is they go, they, they target different parts of the immune system that might be involved in inflammatory bowel disease. Um, and there's the, the immune system is just a complex array of different pathways. And these biologics target different pathways in, in the complexities of the immune system. Um, they're nice because they actually tend to work really well. Um, and because they're more targeted, they tend to have less side effects with them. Um, so for Pete's GI or GI, these biologics have been a game changer in uh, managing inflammatory bowel disease. And I, as I mentioned, they haven't been around too long. So when I first started training, um, you know, as a medical student back then, we used to have a lot of patients in the hospital with IBD flares and they would be on steroids and, you know, um, we'd have a harder time, you know, getting uh, them into remission. But really over the, just the last 10, 15, 20 years, we've seen such a huge change because of these biologics coming into the market and they're so targeted and they work so well that someone who has IBD now has such a different uh, treatment course than just you know, 20 or 30 years ago. Um, they really stay out of the hospital much more uh, often. There's less complications, less need for surgeries and things like that with um, IBD. That's good to hear. Yeah. Um, so I know you mentioned that like symptoms and how a, one's body reacts can determine treatment plans, but are there other factors that are also considered like age, activity level, stress level, so on? In terms of which medications we yes. choose for someone? Yeah. Yes. So, you know, these medications, um, well, one thing that comes up is um, the medications that I mentioned, they, they can affect different parts of the body. 
So some we find work better, say, in the small intestines versus the large intestines or the colon. Um, we find that some medications are better for certain patterns of disease, like for Crohn's disease, for example. Some people um, have Crohn's disease that just affects one part of their body. Some people with Crohn's disease uh, don't have that, what we see is that transmural inflammation where it goes through all deeper levels of the intestines. Um, but if they, for example, do have that transmural type of uh, Crohn's disease where the inflammation goes deeper, then we find that certain medications are better matched for that. Um, other things that play a role, not only sort of, you know, where the inflammation occurs, what kind of inflammation it is, whether it's Crohn's disease versus ulcerative colitis. Um, we also think about how the drug is administered. So some of the medications are actually um, injections or shots. Others are infusions where you would come into clinic and get an IV where the medications is given through that route. Um, so sometimes, for example, when we have a patient who um, hates shots, you know, and they would get really scared with shots, then maybe those type of medications aren't a good fit for them. Um, we have other patients or families that travel a lot or kids that are gonna be going off to college um, and they may decide not to do IV infusions because um, that sort of limits where they can physically be. They have to be, you know, closer to their clinic, for example, where they get the infusions. Mm -hmm. um, other factors that play a role are uh, the side effects with the medications. So sometimes um, some of the medications have what we would say sort of milder effects on the immune system, so less side effects with them, um, whereas others might be a little bit stronger in how they impact the immune system. And with that may have more side effects that play a role in our decision um, in terms of which medication would be best for that patient. So we think about a lot of different things. We try mm -hmm. to think about that patient as a whole and not only their disease, but their lifestyle choices and, you know, what's important to them. And that's how we try to find the best medication. So I know you mentioned that like targeting a specific area can definitely be hard with some types of drugs, but what are other yeah. limitations of like current treatments? Well, there's, um, you know, some things that we find is some medications just don't work. Sometimes someone has a side effect to them um, and that you have to move on to something else. Uh, we actually sometimes have to pair up drugs and do more than one. Um, there's other things that play a role in that um, sometimes people don't have access to these medications. So one of the unfortunate things is even though some of these medications that I mentioned, like biologics, can be really great, they're super expensive, like literally thousands and thousands of dollars for one dose of a medication. And realistically, sometimes people don't have access to them for whatever reason, either they don't have insurance or their insurance doesn't cover it. So that also plays a role in which medication uh, we can offer. Um, do you have additional symptom managements that can be used alongside medication? So more like Definitely. traditional practices? Yeah. So medication is one component, but 
you know, as I mentioned, it kind of goes back to the fact that, you know, IBD is complex. And so, you know, these medications, maybe they'll work on the immune system, for example, but we know that there are other complexities about IBD. So to answer your question, we really try to take more of a holistic sort of approach to managing it. Even though IV, uh, IBD medications are really important and powerful, um, there are other factors. So there's been a lot of research about diet and IBD and um, whether you know, there are certain uh, foods to avoid or foods to eat that can control IBD. And it's still, you know, I would have to say there isn't one diet that works best. We do, we do see that with perhaps Crohn's disease versus ulcerative colitis, the data shows that diet plays a bigger role with Crohn's disease over ulcerative colitis. Um, but there are certain diets that people, if they're interested in, especially if they have Crohn's disease, um, that can help manage uh, their IBD better, potentially. Um, those are uh, certain diets. There's one is called a specific carbohydrate diet, for example. Um, one, another one is where um, someone with Crohn's disease actually drinks most of their calories. So having food that's sort of pre-processed as a liquid can actually help some people with IBD, particularly Crohn's disease. So um, there are many different diets, um, but I, you know, I would say eating or how we eat can help manage IBD. Um, another sort of adjunct sort of way uh, to control IBD is potentially with probiotics, um, changing the profile of the bacteria that is in the gut. There's been a lot of research about this as well. And we do find that it may be helpful in some capacity. Um, there are some uh, particular uh, probiotics that exist that have had some research behind them that um, supports that they may be helpful in keeping someone in remission, particularly with uh, ulcerative colitis. Um, other just kind of basic things are stress and trying to minimize stress for someone because um, it's not unusual for patients to say that they'll have their IBD present or they'll have IBD flares occur when they're more stressed out. And so one of the things to manage IBD that's super important is to try to manage stress to sort of take care of yourself holistically, emotionally, um, uh, so that, you know, you uh, can calm down, I think, your immune system and take care of yourself as a whole so that that um, can help with your IBD. Um, things like sleep as well, managing stress and anxiety, things like that. But those are just some of the other ways that we look at to help medications um, to kind of, you know, help someone in addition to their medications manage their IBD. Hey, you read my mind on the Crohn's disease because I was about to ask if that was like really true, if diet was more effective for Crohn's disease. And B, I've also noticed like a pattern for myself of the stress and connections to um, yeah. flare-ups. Yeah, I mean, stress is an interesting thing in terms of how it impacts health. And it might be in different ways. I mean, I think in one ways when we're stressed out, we have more stress hormones in our body, um, like cortisol. And um, cortisol may, these stress hormones may affect the immune system and maybe impact the way that the immune system is working. 
Um, so there might be, you know, actual sort of biologic or organic ways that stress impacts our health. Um, but then we also know, just we all know that when we're more stressed out, we just don't take care of ourselves as well. Maybe we don't eat as healthy. We don't drink as much water. We don't sleep as well. We also find that when someone's stressed out, maybe they don't take their medications as consistently, and maybe they skip on, you know, forget to take some of their medications or doses. Um, also, we find that when people are more stressed out, um, they may sort of delay going to the doctor. Um, you know, it may take maybe months before they get to that, you know, first appointment with their PhDI doctor. And in general, disease is often uh, easiest to manage when it's earlier in the course. Um, but if you've had, say, IBD that got undiagnosed for years and years, it might be a little more advanced at that time and harder to treat. So for all those reasons, stress, mental health um, can impact uh, our, our IBD in really meaningful ways. And then I know you mentioned, um, well, obviously it varies for everyone, but are there certain patterns um, of someone's diet that you've seen like consistently that are consistently successful, like a dairyless or gluten? Yeah, diet? it's a really good question. And I would have to say there isn't like certain foods like dairy and gluten are two foods that come up a lot for a mm -hmm. lot of different diseases and, uh, and uh, you know, in, in the discussion of diet, they, they, those are the two that are always focused on. And I wouldn't say that going dairy-free or gluten-free um, help most people. It's really hard to say. I would say that just eating healthy in general um, probably helps IBD, uh, most people with IBD in some way. So, and what, what I mean by healthy eating mainly is plant-based eating. So eating a lot of fruits and vegetables, um, avoiding a lot of processed food or junk food, um, that means avoiding a lot of preservatives or additives, just eating um, lots of fruits and vegetables, lots of fiber, whole grain, not processed grains. And then um, I wouldn't say in my experience or from hearing from patients that eating um, vegetarian is necessarily um, better for their IBD management, but we do see that avoiding or eating um, lean protein is 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 probably healthier for someone. And what I mean by lean protein is more like uh, eggs or tofu or chicken um, rather than pork or beef. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so in general, I would say just eating healthy, plant-based, avoiding processed food um, helps control IBD or uh, for, helps IBD patients feel healthier. Okay. Um, for a newly diagnosed patient looking to learn more about managing their symptoms, what do you think is a good resource that they can use? Yeah, I mean, it's funny with IBD, you know, it's everyone's so different. I mean, we all know we're all so different, right? And so it goes, it's the same way with IBD. There's a whole range of different IBD presentations in terms of severity, in terms of what people experience. So we're very unique. 
And so um, sometimes, you know, the internet can be really helpful, but sometimes it can't, it can be quite the opposite as we all know. Um, and I think with IBD, because it's so unique for each person, sometimes when you are on the internet and you read about someone else's experience, um, maybe it can be helpful, but we do have to sort of take in that information with a grain of salt, if you will, because their IBD can be very, very different from your own. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, you know, there's a lot of information out there um, in the internet. Some of it might, might be helpful to use, some may not. I would have to say that the most established um, internet resource is ccfa.org. That's the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. Um, they're the most reputable IBD organization out there. And um, I would say that is a great resource for um, learning about IBD, learning about meds, learning about how to control symptoms um, because it's research-based. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think those are the main thing. Certainly, um, I do often encourage uh, patients with IBD to have their own community and, you know, talk to other people with IBD and kind of learn about it. But always, again, understanding that your body and your IBD might be very, very different from someone else's. Yeah, one thing I hadn't known is that through the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation website, you can yeah. like find support groups in your area. Yeah, so, yeah. Good resources like that. Okay, last question is, what do you think is the future of treating IBD and how do you think it will change? Oh, it's a really good question. I mean, I would have to say where I am, I'm sort of mid-career, if you will. Um, so I've seen a lot of, just in my, you know, last, let's see, I don't know, 20 plus years since I you know, first started medical school, IBD has just transformed so much over the last 20 or so years. As I mentioned, the, the biologics, the introduction of biologics has really, really changed IBD. So, which I guess makes me think about the future. I'm, I totally think I wouldn't be surprised the next 20 years is going to be totally different than it is right now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one thing that I think will happen, well, I already, I already know what's happening is a lot more drugs will come onto the market um, and they already are. And I suspect that these drugs will probably be, end up being more targeted. Again, if you think about the steroids being, you know, not as targeted, very general anti-implant or, you know, medications that affect the immune system, whereas the biologics are more targeted. I, I wonder in the future if they're going to become even more targeted. So they really zone in on one pathway and have hopefully less side effects because they are more targeted. Um, so more drugs, probably more targeted drugs. The other thing that I hope um, and um will happen in the future is that, you know, I don't know if there can be a blood test or some way to predict whether or not someone's going to respond to a particular medication. So right now, you know, when we have a new IBD patient, we really don't know if they're going to respond to infliximab versus ustekinumab. You know, we have 
um, research studies that kind of can help you, can guide you. But really for that individual person, we don't know whether their IBD is gonna to respond to that medication. We don't know if they're gonna be one of those people that has a side effect to that medication. So in the future, um, I don't know, in 20, 30 or 50 years, I think one of the things that I guess will happen with modern medicine is that um, it will be better at predicting whether a medication is gonna work for someone and whether or not they're gonna have a side effect to that medication. Um, yeah. Okay. Do you think that surgery is like still pretty prominent as a treatment right now or is it still like continuing to separate or like go a different direction than surgery nowadays? Yeah, I mean, I think the general trend is because medications uh, are more effective and they have less side effects with it, then they prevent complications from IBD, which would require surgery. Um, so yeah, so we are seeing, like again, you know, if compared to where we were, you know, 30 years ago to where we are now, we're seeing less need for surgery. Um, so yeah, I, I, I uh, anticipate that will be the ongoing trend in the future. That's good. That's exciting to hear. Yeah. Okay. Well, once again, thank you for coming on and sharing. It was very intriguing to learn about the different treatments, but also just how it really varies from patient to patient. Well, you are very welcome. It was quite a pleasure. Um, I think it's so great that you're doing this um, so that you can teach other people about IBD. You know, when I often have um, a new patient come in, um, it's really stressful and families come in really shell-shocked, honestly, which is so understandable. But with things like this that, you know, help them, um, you know, learn more about this condition, learn that it is much more uh, manageable and treatable than maybe they thought, to learn that there are more people that have it and there's more open discussion about it, I think is just wonderful. And it, it, it really does make a difference. Thank so you. thank you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs>